Morning. We okay? A little wet from a great weekend. Growing up, whenever I heard the word missionary, it gave me the shivers. And the reason it gave me the shivers was because what that meant was that I had to go if I wanted to follow Jesus somewhere far, far away to serve Jesus. So growing up, every time a missionary would come our direction to our church, I would hear them tell their wonderful stories and think, well, if I'm going to be a real Christian, I've got to go do that. Matter of fact, in high school, I don't know if you know this about me, I went to four different high schools. Works out to one a year through high school, but I had my last two in one. So that meant that those first, the freshman and sophomore years, I was bouncing around. And because of that, we never plugged into a church. Well, I plugged into a church, finally our family did, those last two years of high school. And we had someone come to that church and say this to us. He said that if we didn't go to that far, far away land and serve Jesus, then maybe we weren't really serious about our faith. Now, as I heard that, I thought, no, nah, that's not right. But I didn't know how at that point to justify that and how to prove that and how to show this person that I knew more than they did. And, and I didn't really want to do that. But it hurt, and I was fairly certain that uh, that was not going to be my calling. And it led to a bit of a panic in me because I knew that I wanted to follow Jesus, but I didn't know what that was going to look like. And then my junior year of high school, when I was called into ministry, and I knew that God was calling me to do something, that panic rose up in me again. Because I thought, okay, God, I'm, I'm willing to do this, but you need to know, I really don't want to, and I don't think I have to, unless you're calling me to do that. And I will. I'm perfectly willing to do that. But someone saw the panic in my face, and to this day, I don't know who that is, it wasn't a minister at our church, but it was somebody within that church who loved me more than I love myself, came to me and said, you're called to follow Jesus where you are first. And then, you know what, maybe God might call you to do something else at some point. All I remember from that conversation is we're called to serve God right where we are first. And that has stuck with me since that moment. And today as we read in Acts chapter 18, if you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn there because we're going to read a few verses and I want us all to pay attention to something kind of important. But I want us to think about this, that we're called to serve right where we are. As I look at the map that we have back on this wall, there are some names that are listed um, that kind of show us where they are. And they're people that some of us know, people, some of them in this very room right now. And we have the same map across the street over near the sanctuary with the same people listed. I'm reminded that God has called them to do that. God has called us to be where we are, and we are all being asked by God to serve God in whatever way He asks. And as we read this, that's what I want to think about. Some of the folks that we see and some of the folks in this room have been asked to be a light in places where there's not much light, or where darkness is even preferred. And what I want you to hear me say this morning is that we are all being asked to be a light. Acts chapter 18, just the first, I don't know, four or five verses, we'll kind of see how it goes. 
and uh, then we'll talk about it for a few minutes. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and they worked together. By trade, they were tent makers. Every Sabbath, he, Paul, would argue in the synagogue and would try to convince Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with proclaiming the word, testifying to the Jews that the Messiah was Jesus. Now, I'm hoping that you remember that Luke is the one who has penned these words, the same Luke that wrote the gospel. It's actually one book, Luke Acts. We know about Luke that he gives us more detail than we probably want, than we may even need, but Luke's a doctor, and that's what doctors do. They always give us more information than we might want. And so Luke does that for us, and what he reminds us here is that Luke, that Paul, rather, is coming into this place, Corinth, which, I don't know if you know much about this town, but it was the largest city in Greece at the moment, the most cosmopolitan. There were trade routes coming in, there were ports being delivered to and from, which leads to a lot of things in big cities. So Paul is coming in knowing that he has been asked to be a light in a place that prefers darkness. And he goes to work. He is a tent maker. The words really mean a leather worker. He, he has a job, I think, so that you know, he can eat, but also so that he has a passage to talk to folks about Jesus. Because we see immediately that on the Sabbath and all through, the, all through his life, he is sharing Jesus with anyone that will listen. And being a tent maker provides him that in with people that he might not otherwise know. And so this morning, it's not just about going to the far away places. But it's about being a tent maker right where we are. Don't hear me say that it's not also about going to those far away places because it is. But so many of us, when we think of missions, we think, well, that's what they're doing. That's what the people that we have listed, that's what they do. And we support them and we pay for them. And we send them things and we help them do whatever they need to do. And that's not all it is. We are being asked to be tent makers where we are. Now you may or may not know someone who has set everything aside to follow Jesus to a place that they didn't know, adapting to a culture, following Jesus with their family or without one. These are our modern day tent makers. They go where... God leads and they dig down into this culture. They get to know the people around them. They create roots. And they allow God to work through them in whatever way God chooses. And in today's language, we think of this as a missional life. A lifestyle that is aimed outward. And that's what I want to talk to us about today. What does it mean to live a missional life? How do we do this? Now, missional is a bit of a buzzword, at least in the circles that I run in, and I know that my circles are different than yours, and you're probably very thankful for that. But missional is a, is a buzzword for a lot of people, and, and it is because it means a lot of different things. We hear things about a missional church and this missional lifestyle and a missional pastor, and we hear all of these things, but what does that really mean? Well, here's, to me, what it seems like we're trying to get across. 
It's simply a commitment to living like Jesus in order to serve, and here's what I need us to hear, in order to serve as an imperfect participant in the kingdom of God that is among us now. Did you hear what I'm saying with missional? Let me repeat that. It's a commitment to living like Jesus in order to serve as an imperfect participant in the kingdom of God that is among us now. It's redemptive living within a community and for the community. And recently I had a conversation with someone that you may know or may remember, Christy Freeman. This week uh, I talked with her a little bit and I said, Christy, I'm I'm talking about this on Sunday. I just want to know your thoughts. What was it like when you left Norman, Oklahoma to go do what you're doing? Now, seven years ago, almost to the day when uh, our family moved to Norman, Christy was the interim youth minister at the time. She was also in nursing school at OU. And as she graduated and was trying to figure out what she wanted to do with her life, she realized that she was being called to go somewhere that wasn't Norman and to follow Jesus. So she ended up, through lots of time and prayer and effort, uh, ending up in Belgium. Such a bad place to go. Um, She ended up in Belgium working as a missionary with the International Mission Board for two years. That was her commitment. And so I asked her, what was it like to move to this new country, fall in love with this place to the point where after your two years of commitment were up, you wanted to stay? And she, I don't, if you keep up with her, you know she's not coming back. I mean, she loves the place where God has placed her. Here's what she brought to mind as she considered the decisions that were made, as she has decided to be a tent maker where she is. She talked about how difficult it is from the language to meeting new people. And as I heard, as she said that, I thought, Christy has a hard time meeting new people. If you know Christy, that doesn't sound right. She had a hard time with that. Starting over in a new culture, it was all very, very difficult for her. She said for the first year, she just wanted to come home. And she had to resist at every moment because she knew that God was placing her right where she was supposed to be. And because of her commitment to live a Jesus life, as an imperfect participant in the kingdom of God that is now, she stayed. She talked about nothing being familiar. She talked about the, the grocery stores and things like that that we all get used to. You know, when you go into some place here, you know right where everything is. And she talked about the simplest things that were just so difficult because she really didn't want to be there that first year. She reminded me that it's rare to be a Christian there. That Some of her friends would ask her not to tell anyone how they know each other. She had led some to know Jesus and they didn't want anyone to know because it was such a rare thing. She, however, as you can imagine, has stayed true to herself. She is now, after her two years, she accepted a position uh, with a medical research company doing cancer research and she is pretty high up in their organization. She's getting married soon. Um, there's lots of good things going on with her. The point is, she has become a tent maker. She is a tent maker. She is living her life pointing people to Jesus in the best way she knows how. And what I'm suggesting is we all ought to be doing the same thing. And when I first heard these stories of people giving up everything to go overseas, I really did think that was the only place I could go. Maybe you've had that kind of experience as well. 
And it scared me as a kid. It scared me as a teenager. It scared me as a seminary student when I was getting serious about what God was calling me to do. And just yesterday I thought, wow, am I doing the right thing? It's a scary proposition. And yet we know that it's not true in our heart of hearts. We know we're called to serve God where we are, in the places that we are. Did you know that if you took all of the people in the United States who do not claim a church home, that it would be the eighth largest country in the world? Consider that for just a moment. Churchless Americans would be the eighth largest country in the world. There's a book that's just come out that uh, tries to figure out why this is through all of their research. The book is called Churchless. And it's clear that what we are discovering is that we live in a continually post-Christian nation. And I'm wondering if more of us didn't decide to become tent makers right where we are, if that wouldn't change. I don't know the answer to that, but I'm, I'm left to wonder what might change this. In the 90s, it was about a third of the population. Now it's nearly half. The eighth biggest country in the world. Paul went into Corinth to share the love of Jesus. And as he did, he began as a tent maker. And this missional lifestyle that he had was apparent. We can see that he was in the synagogue continually trying to persuade these people who had no idea and who could care less. But being a tent maker allowed him the opportunity to talk with some people. You've heard me talk of Peru before. It's my home away from home. I need to tell again because it, it fits so well with what we're talking about. Jill and I go every year. This is the first year that we have not been since 2005. In 2003, a cardiologist by the name of uh, Dr. Luis Campos went back to his home in Lima, and he and his wife Ruth discovered a shantytown north of Lima called Coique. They rediscovered it, I should say. In high school, Luis wrote a paper about the poverty that was evident in this section of northern Lima. And he went back all these years later with the means to do something about it, knowing that God was calling him to do something. And that was the beginning of Operacion San Andres, which is named after the disciple Andrew, who was the disciple that brought the fish and loaves to Jesus when they fed the 5,000. The idea was we don't have much, but whatever we have, we're offering to Jesus. When they started... The whole purpose was to create a place to provide a better life for those around them. They had a goal of 10 block radius from where they were going to begin. They realized that the medical and dental care were horribly missing. And so they began every six months to bring groups of doctors and nurses and dentists and dental assistants so that they could improve the quality of life for those who lived there. Most of the homes are built out of cardboard. Most of the teeth are falling out. The life expectancy is late 40s, early 50s. It's not a great place to live. But they had a goal. And so when we began talking about this, and that was a few years before I went, and on my first trip, I got to be around the dentist. I'm not a fan of dentists. If you are a dentist, I'm sorry, but I don't like you. <laughs> or your profession, I should say. Um, 
And I was around them so much, and what I got to experience and see was the pulling of teeth from every dot, single dot child, period. Every child had teeth, multiple, that had to be pulled. I even got to pull a few, not knowing what I was doing at the moment, but the dentist helped me, made sure that I was doing it right. After a few years of this, I sat down with some of those same dentists, and what they say is, I'm doing less here than I do back home to patients in the U.S. That 10-block radius of children, things had changed. And it was at that point that OSA, Operacion San Andres, OSA began telling those children about Jesus and their families about Jesus. It didn't start there. It was moving into this community, setting up roots, creating a facility, a place in the middle of this poverty-stricken area, and earning the right to be heard. We're going to help you with food. They started working with the Peruvian government with a feeding program for children who might not otherwise get any food. They fed them one meal a day. It continues to grow. There's hardly ever a bad idea. You talk to Dr. Campos, you say, hey, what about this? He says, let's do it. But it started with, let's make this a better place for them to live. Earning the right to be a part of that area and then being heard. It's one of the ultimate examples that I've been a part of, of loving people until they ask why. And when they ask why, we had an answer. It's because of Jesus. It's because of what Jesus has done in us. And we want that for you. We began taking groups of people who weren't doctors or nurses or dentists or dental assistants or psychologists or anything else. We took a group of people whose sole job was to teach children about Jesus. And we did that, you know, backyard Bible club, sports camp, VBS type things, teaching them some English. Some of them know better English than some of us because we go in there and we, we teach them. They hired missionaries that live there permanently and who become a part of the community. We've started to rebuild homes that are no longer made out of cardboard. They're made out of something a little more sturdy. The best thing is they recognize that OSA is not going anywhere. They're not coming in for any other reason but to help, to walk alongside, to teach, and to listen. And it can only be better because of what OSA is doing. I'm suggesting that we are all in the same position right where we are, that we step into our neighborhoods, into our offices, into our classrooms, into our sororities, into our fraternities, into our teams, and we are the people that we are because of what God has called us to do. That makes us tent makers. We move into their life to earn the right to talk about Jesus. We love them until they say, why are you doing this? And you say, because of what Jesus has done in me. We are each called to be a tent maker. Last thing, I just want to remind us that by his nature, God is a sent one who takes the initiative to redeem his creation. Because we are the sent people of God, we are the instruments that God uses 
in the world. It seems that we have a somewhat backward understanding of what mission really is. Now, a lot of churches, us included, create mission statements. It provides a way for us to guide what we do, how we spend our money, how we hire people, how we send each other out. I think what I'm suggesting is that maybe we have that backwards. If we truly are a missional people, it's not that the church has a mission, but it's that the mission has a church. Did you catch that? God is on mission. He is bringing creation to Himself. And we get to be used. The mission has a church. What if First Baptist Church of Norman were to continue her shift of focus from inside the walls to outside the walls? Those conversations are being had all across our membership about how we can better do that. What if we were to shift the direction of thought from what makes us feel better about how we do church to where is God working and how can we be a part? Remember, the mission has a church. How can we be a part of God's mission? And just what if we sent each other into our neighborhoods and into our schools and into our offices living out the lifestyle that God has called us to? earning the right to be heard because we love them. Not so that they can come to know Jesus necessarily, just because we're called to love them. And we let God do the rest. What we need are more tent makers. Here in Norman and around the world, you want to build one with me? We could build some great things together here. Let's pray together.